All right. Are you ready for God's Word today? Yeah, me too. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11, everybody. Mark chapter 11. I'm going to invite you to stand. We like to stand as we read God's Word together just to honor the Word of God. I know you feel like, well, I just sat down. That's okay. You needed a workout. I'm helping you this morning get our workout in. Uh, Mark chapter 11. I love Mark's gospel. Um, so Mark uh, is it, it, the, the, the author, Mark, actually John Mark. We learn in Acts that his name was John Mark. It's the same John Mark that left Paul and Barnabas when they were at Perga and went back to Jerusalem and caused Paul to be upset. He felt he was abandoned. And Barnabas is like, let's not give up on this boy. He's young, but I see some potential. But that's when Paul said, no, me and Silas will go and you can have John boy, right? And the great thing is, is that John, Moore, that John Mark that later gives us the second gospel, which is the gospel that bears his name, Mark. Come on, somebody. Be, hey, be a Barnabas. Don't give up on them yet. You understand? There's, still, there's, there's potential there, right? And so um, Mark was not one of the apostles. So all of his information really comes from the apostle Peter. But the way Mark put his gospel together was not to give you his opinion. And that's what I like about him. Um, he actually just starts giving you events, what happened and what was said by Jesus or others. He leaves his narration out of the gospel and he's trying to get you to draw the conclusion that Jesus must be the Christ. In fact, to make the declaration at the end of God's at the end of Mark's gospel, in order to make the point Jesus is the, is the Christ, he doesn't say, I came to this conclusion. He actually uses a quote from the Roman soldier at the cross who said, surely this was the Son of God. It's just incredible. It's almost like Instagram posts. So it's just kind of bam, bam, bam. You know, I think ethos is the, is the Greek word. Um, but it's immediately. So it's like 30-something times in the book of Mark. Immediately, 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 right? And he's just kind of giving us Instagram posts. Here's Jesus, 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 And he's trying to get us to draw the conclusion. This must be the Christ. It's an incredible gospel. It's actually written to Gentiles, Roman Gentiles, by Mark. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. And I'm going to read a lot of scripture, but I don't apologize for that. Because remember, we're called to make Christ followers, not church attenders. And so I'm not going to read a verse and tell you funny stories today and send you home in 20 minutes. We're going to get into the Word of God and find out what it, what it says and what it means to us. And so we're going to read a, a little bit, a good portion of Scripture, but I'm not going to apologize. Same way, if we were serving steak, I wouldn't apologize for serving a lot of it. Mark chapter 11, verse 12, it says, Now the next day when he had come from Bethany, he was hungry. This is Jesus. He, Jesus was hungry. How many of you know he's completely man, Right? And seeing for if he was, if, if you know, this the deity and humanity of Christ, but if Jesus wasn't a man, then his sacrifice doesn't benefit us, right? He had to put on flesh, and it's, it's not substitutionary unless he becomes a man. So, uh, so because that, we can see Jesus got tired, and in this case, Jesus was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see perhaps if he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not season for figs. In response, Jesus said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. How many of you know you don't want to make Jesus hungry? <laughs> like, like, he gets hangry. Like, like you, you don't have figs? Die! You know what I'm saying? Anyways, um, 
And then he goes to the temple. By the way, in Mark's gospel, chapters 1 through 8 is Galilean ministry. 8 through 10, he's kind of on the move. But starting in chapter 11 through 16, it's in Jerusalem. So this is the last time. It's Passover. He's coming for Passover. It's the last time that he'll be in Jerusalem. So he's on his way, essentially, to Jerusalem. Last time for the crucifixion. And so then, leaving the fig tree... It says, so they, so they came to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. And he overturned the tables and money changers and seats and those who sold doves. I just want to say again, don't make him hungry. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And then he taught saying them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it, and they sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because the people were astonished at his teaching. And when eating come, he went out of the city. Now in the morning, as they passed by the same fig tree, they saw it dried up from the roots. And Peter remarked, saying, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus answered and said, Have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and cast in the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask for when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Today, I want to speak to you just a few moments on the topic of moving the immovable. Moving the immovable. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much, God, for your word. God, the revelation that you, you gave it to us and you speak to us and you reveal yourself from it. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to open it. God, we're also grateful for the Holy Spirit, which gives us what we need to understand, to see and to hear and to perceive and to receive from the word of God. So Holy Spirit, come today and speak to us what you would have us know, understand and receive in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. amen. And you can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. So it's kind of an interesting text because honestly, none of the things that I read actually seem like they go together. A fig tree, a temple, a throwdown at the temple, right? And, and then this Jesus, this dissertation about faith and moving mountains. None of it really seems like, in fact, a lot of people have said, well, what was the problem with the fig tree? Some, some theologians, people have studied it, say, well, this wasn't really the season for figs. It mentions that in the text. So why did Jesus get so mad? And what was all this? And I, I think there's a lot of things symbolically. And I don't know. Sometimes in, in the Word of God, things are very clear. And sometimes you need a little bit of a holy imagination. But I think what is the commonality between the fig tree, if you will, and the temple event is infidelity. Meaning the lack of faith or faithfulness or fruitfulness, right? Fruitfulness, being fruitful, is actually produced by faithfulness or being faithful and having faith in God. And, and so I think in a way, to Jesus, Jerusalem had become this fig tree. And they, he goes to the temple, which should be filled, if you will, with the fruits of godliness and, and filled with expectation and focus on God and instead, it had become, as Mark describes it, a den of thieves, meaning they were using God to make money, and they were manipulating, taking advantage of God's people. And it wasn't a place of holy prayer and worship. It had become a place of basically manipulation and profit. It was lacking faith. There was, it was not an environment for faith. The fig tree, lacking fruitfulness. And I think in some ways, this is, this is why these things are put together 
because one symbolizes the other. And then Peter, so we know Jesus, he's mad. Hey, you know, we say mad. He's hungry. Don't ever, no, no one's going to ever eat. And then they're walking by the next day, the same victory, and Peter notices, like, this thing has withered up from the roots. And so he asked Jesus about it, and then Jesus says something else that seems abstract. Like, you got to love Jesus, because they would come with a simple question, like, Jesus, you know, do, do we do this or that? And he'd say, there was a farmer. You know what I'm saying? Like, he has this parabolic language. And, and so here's, like, Jesus, like, the figs, it, it's dried up. And Jesus is like, have faith in God. Like, is God not like figs? Like, what is the problem here? But it's interesting to me because he says, have faith in God. He's talking about a fig tree. I think for Jesus, it represented Jerusalem. And I think his people, Israel. And I think the experience at the temple, I think it's all tied together. And I think in this moment, Jesus gives this. He takes all of these illustrations and weaves together something his disciples can make sense out of. And he does it again with the with the sim, the. Imagery, that's the word I wanted. The imagery of, of the mountain because he says, you know, they're asking about fig tree, right? He could have just said, I was hungry. It should have had figs. It didn't, so I cursed it. But instead, he was like, hey, the fig tree. And he says, hey, have faith in God. And then he all of a sudden turns to a different image. He said, because you can speak to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea. Well, what does the mountain got to do with it? Well, again, use our holy imagination. I think... Jesus would have been leaving like the Temple Mount, Jerusalem. He is, he is headed for the Mount of Olives. And if he looks out to the south, a few miles out in the south, you would see the, uh, Herod's fortress, the Herodian fortress, um, which Herod actually used slaves to dig out of a mountain. In some ways, you could say he moved a mountain. And so I think Jesus taking this opportunity, he's like, have faith in God, because if you have faith in God, you don't need slaves to move a mountain. Your faith can move a mountain. And so Jesus now is talking in this whole thing. Really, I think the, 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 the theme, even though you can certainly teach on prayer, I think the theme becomes the power of faith. Moving the immovable. I think for Jesus, because remember, he's man. He was hungry. I think for him, having seen the condition of the temple, I think he may be wondering if it's an immovable object or if the obstacle is, how does Israel ever come to salvation after seeing what shape the people of God are in and what shape the, what the temple has become and it's supposed to be this holy place of prayer and, and now it's a den of thieves. And I think maybe Jesus, even in his humanity, could have been thinking, it seems impossible, God, that Israel is going to come back to you. But I think in this moment, maybe he too is reminding himself, have faith in God. And if, and if Herod can employ his slaves, and I use employ loosely, these are the jokes, people, come on. <laughs> then surely God can do the supernatural and miraculous, and God can do that through people who have faith. So there's some things about faith that I want to talk to and there's speak about, and there's some things about faith that I think I want to clarify because as, as a pastor, I haven't done this, you got a lot of questions. So let's walk through this together. The first point that I really want to make comes from this statement of Jesus when he says, have faith in God. Well, what does that mean, have faith in God? Well, a lot, there are several Greek scholars um, who would look at that phrase that's translated, have faith in God, and they would say it could have just as easily been translated, have the faith of God. 
One commentary actually put it this way, have the God kind of faith. I like the point that makes, and here's why. Because it makes the point that faith is a grace and not a work. Hear what I'm saying. We're saved by grace. Everything we'll ever receive from God comes by grace. But sometimes in the body of Christ, faith becomes a work. You'll hear it expressed this way. Well, if I can believe hard enough or if I can have enough faith or if I can just believe. And when we do that, we're putting the emphasis back on us and our ability to do something. We're, put, we're, we're actually in some ways, it's kind of like saying, well, if I could be good enough to be saved, well, if I could have enough faith that God would do what I'm praying for. Again, the emphasis now is, has come back to us, and now faith has become a work, and I think faith is a grace, and I think there's plenty of Scripture to support this. I think it is a gift from God. In fact, in the writings of Paul, several times in Galatians, Philippians, and Romans, he will use a phrase that many times is translated, faith in Christ or believe in Christ, but actually, there again, Greek scholars would tell you, it could have been said this way, that, that by, the, by the faith of Christ or with the faith of Christ. One, one of these are with Christ's faith, as though we almost possess his faith somehow. In fact, Galatians 2.20, Paul puts it this way, we've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless we live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live, I live, a lot of versions say, by, by faith in the Son of God, but there are several versions that say, by the faith of the Son of God. That I live by his faith working in me, essentially. We know Romans 12. In fact, we can read it together. Romans 12, verse 3. Paul's reminding people not to be puffed up in their, in their faith or in having received grace. For he said, I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who's among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. And this is what he says. As God has dealt or given to each one a measure of faith. So it just kind of, there again, kind of reaffirms the idea that it's God giving faith. In fact, you can couple this. In, in Romans, he's speaking to Roman believers. But in 2 Thessalonians, he makes a comment about unbelievers. And he says, they do not have faith. So Paul seems to make this, this point, if you will, when you read his writings, that to not be, to, if you're not a believer, you don't have faith. But being a believer, God has given you faith. Now you say, well, how do you come from no faith to God giving you faith? Well, you know, according to the Bible, the Word of God is actually the seed of God. And so the Bible says when we receive the Word of God, right, this is what leads us to salvation. Hearing, faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the Word of God. In other words, hearing the Word of God is what gives me faith. And so ultimately, it is hearing the gospel that, that causes God's faith as a seed to be sown into your heart. And if you believe it, it takes root and you have faith. And you have the God kind of faith, the faith that is God's faith, the faith that believes believes in God and who he says he is? Does that make sense? And so I want you to understand that faith to me is something that God gives us, right? It is a grace. Now, why do I need to understand that? Well, number one, we already said, because I don't want to ever make faith a work, right? Because works don't work. Come on, somebody. It's the whole idea of the new covenant, right? We're not saved by works. We don't get anything by works. I'm not taking away the concept of obeying God, but I am saying it's not by works, it's by grace, right? In fact, Paul says this in Ephesians 2.8, it's by grace through faith that you're saved, not of yourselves. And most people apply the not of yourselves to grace, but I think the not of yourselves applies to grace and faith. 
He says, it's by grace through faith that you're saved. And that's not, you didn't get either of those things. You, did, you don't get those things. You receive those things. And that's why he says, it's not of works that anyone should boast. So I don't want my faith to become a work. I, and let me say it another way. I don't ever want to get in the place where I have faith in my faith. But the other thing that this tells me is so good. Because if God has given me faith, then I can trust the faith that I have is enough faith for whatever God has called me to do or to believe or how he's called me to serve or love or give or whatever. In other words, now I don't have to doubt because there's a lot of people, well, do I have enough faith? I don't think I have as much faith as them, right? I think Jesus kind of accentuates this point or we could go to, to, to what he says because Jesus says, hey, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed. A lot of people nowadays, I've seen it on TikTok. TikTok... <coughs> It's not necessarily a great place to get your theology. Anyways, a lot of people say, well, you know, Jesus didn't tell the truth, so the Bible's, you know, not inerrant because Jesus said the mustard seed was the smallest. Now we know there are smaller seeds. And I'm like, okay, you have to understand. First of all, you're straining at gnats here, brother. But if that's the best argument you got. But you have to also understand in Jesus' day, the mustard seed was the smallest known seed. So Jesus could not teach them. He... You know, God probably knew what the smallest seed was going to be in, in you know, 2,000 years later. But if Jesus would have named seeds that they didn't know existed, they would have had no... So all you're proving is Jesus knew how to work within the culture and context of his day. That's all you've proven. Anyways, that's a whole other thing. I'm filtering. Give me just a minute. Because there's just some dumb stuff out there. Anyways... Um, <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, how dumb can you be and still be able to breathe, you know? Anyways, um, I'm sorry. That was not very Christ-like. We're going to edit that out. Anyways, but, but this, <laughs> this <laughs> when you watch it back on replay, there'll be some little glitch. We'll say there was a technical issue, and that statement will be gone. Anyways, but the point is, number one, I don't want faith to become a work. But number two, I want to know that I have enough faith to believe God however God wants me to believe God. Right? I, want, I don't want to be wondering like, oh, am I, I going to have enough faith? Because that kind of borders on making faith the work. But now I can have confidence in this, that God has given me the measure of faith that I'll need to live my life. So I don't need someone else's faith and I don't need more faith. I just have to learn to use the faith that I have. And so I want us to understand that. The, the, the next thing, as we're reading the text together, the whole point of this is the power of faith. And Jesus is making that point that if, if Herod can move a mountain with all of his slaves, I mean, this was an incredible feat. Herod was an incredible builder. You know, when you look at the, the spa of Masada and, and, you know, he gets temple, he gets credit, credit for building the, the western wall, which is a retaining wall for the temple. There's some debate whether he actually did, but bottom line is he was an incredible builder. And Jesus is saying, hey, if Herod can move a mountain, with a, with a bunch of slaves over 10, 15 years, I'm going to tell you, you can move a mountain with faith. That's how powerful it is. And so he's explaining to us and explaining to them the power of faith. What I want to, though, is to make sure we understand how faith works and why it's powerful. So Jesus says, have faith in God. And we said that could have been translated, have the God kind of faith or have God's faith. 
or have the faith of God. So have faith in God or have the faith of God. What I like about both of those statements is it makes God the object of our faith. The power of faith, because the power of faith, now hear me on this. The power of faith is not in what you believe. The power of faith is in what anchors it about what you believe. You say it this way, it's more powerful about who you believe than what you believe. You can actually have faith in the wrong person. Somebody dated them, didn't you? Praise the Lord. You can have faith. You can have faith in the wrong thing. Let me ask this. Honest. Did anyone ever, have you ever had anybody, because probably it's going to get everybody, right? Have you ever had anybody tell you they're going to do something and you believe them? We'd call that faith. You had faith in them, right? And then they didn't do it. What was the problem? The problem wasn't that you didn't believe them. The problem was their character wasn't strong enough to be the anchoring point of your faith. That's why when the Bible of Scripture says this, when God could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Here's what he said. My character is always strong enough to anchor your faith to. I can't fail. And so I want you to understand that the power of faith is its object. I also want you to understand, in a way, um, the con- when you're talking about the concept of faith, here's what faith really means. Because you got to remember, this word in the Greek is, we typically say it, pistis which kind of sounds like you're cussing. But um, <laughs> anyways, and so in the Greek, it's really pistis is the way they say it. But anyways, but that was a, a common word in the day. It wasn't just, they didn't invent it for the Bible. Does that make sense? They wrote the Bible in the Greek language. They didn't invent the Greek language to write the New Testament. Probably when Jesus was speaking, he was speaking in Aramaic. But the point is that concept of pistis, you study how it's used in their culture outside of the Bible. You can study even Aristotle, how he used the word. It really has three components when you're talking about faith. Faith is coming to a knowledge of, right? Then it's a mental assent or agreement with, and then it's a trust in. And so when you're talking about faith and you're talking about what's the object of your faith, this is how we get saved. We came to a knowledge of Christ, heard the gospel, however that happened. Then we came to a place of mental assent, of agreeing with it. Yes, I agree, right? I want to say this. Faith is not blind. Let me go back to that coming to a knowledge of. Because a lot of people accuse Christians of being mindless, stupid people who just need a crutch called God. No, if you examine the evidence... There's more evidence for God than there is for, well, that there is no God. There's more ev- evidence for theism or deism than there is for atheism. For, for instance, there's a lot of things God can explain and a lot of things you can explain as a Christian that a scientist can't. But scientists actually, in my opinion, have more faith than Christians because they have blind faith. Because a scientist can't explain what caused the universe. I mean, even Stephen Hawking, um, atheist physicist or whatever he was, most atheist scientists now believe that time, matter, and, and time, space, and matter came into existence at the same moment. Well, the problem is, even though they, that's what the data says and science says that, then what caused it? Because whatever caused time and space and matter had to be timeless, spaceless, and immaterial. So matter couldn't cause matter. So they can't explain that. Then they can't explain the human mind because matter can't create intelligent thought. So how did man, and this is what they'll say. Well, surely if we keep studying science, science will someday explain these things. And I would say, wow, that is a blind faith because so far science hasn't gotten close. 
And you have no reason to believe if we give you 5,000 more years. Science can't explain love. They can't explain. Science or atheism, if you will, that, that whole way of thinking can't, can't explain objective morality. Where did we get morality? Right? So I'm just saying, when we're talking about faith, we're not mindless Christians. If you go look at, at the cosmological argument or you look at the intelligent design argument, I mean, there's so many are, are just objective morality or you look at, at all, of, all of the information, you're going to come to a conclusion that there's a God. Are you with me? And then if you work through the life of Christ, the resurrection, the the historical evidence of the resurrection, which there's plenty of historical evidence of an empty tomb. I mean, this is the historical evidence. This is outside. You go outside the Bible. History is going to tell you Jesus Christ was crucified by Pontius Pilate. They never found the body. His, belief, his, his followers turned the world upside down. His followers believed that they had actually seen the risen Christ. And some of those followers being hostile witnesses like the Apostle Paul who hated Christians and James, the older brother of Jesus, who did not believe makes it very clear in the gospels James did not believe Jesus Christ he thought he was a lunatic but James actually ends up being martyred in the name of Jesus now what does it take to convince your older brother that you're the Messiah I'm going to say I have an older brother it's going to take a lot probably more than walking on water. You understand what I'm saying? It's probably going to take a resurrection to convince. You understand? You understand? So I'm just saying, so when it comes to faith in Christ, we're not blind and we're not stupid. We examine the evidence and some of that is scientific and some of it's philosophical and some of it employs many different ologies, if you will, epistemology and all these other things. But ultimately we have come to this conclusion that Jesus must be who he says he is. And I agree with that. And now I trust his sacrifice was enough for me. And that essentially is how faith is explained and expressed in this word, pistis or pistis, however you want to say it. But the point is, the object of that faith, the object of that faith is what gives it power. It's believing in. Believing in. The reason I say this is because sometimes in the body of Christ, we're believing for. And I don't think there's anything wrong with believing and trusting God for provision or for health. I, I absolutely, because I think the promises of God are clear. I think Scripture's clear. I think God has a will towards us. That will is ultimately good. I think we can trust the will of God. But that doesn't always mean that God moves when we think he should move, how we think he should move, or does what we think he should do. Sometimes there's a discrepancy between our will and his will. So the point that I want to make is what I want us to be careful of, because I've seen this in the body of Christ, I've seen people's faith damaged because of this, because they got caught up believing for Instead of being anchored in believing in. It would be this way, and, and I'll use an example that's really a good example, even though I've heard some really foolish things. I've heard people say, well, I'm using my faith and I'm believing for, you know, an airplane or something like that. And I'm like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if God really cares you have an airplane. He's probably more concerned about the lost people than your luxury, but that's just me. But yet I think he's a good father. And I think as a father, because he's a father and not just a God, he expresses himself as father. I know for me as a father, the joy that I have is not always in just giving my kids toothpaste and toilet paper. Sometimes I like to buy them things that are the desires of their heart. 
And so I think sometimes the heart of the Father is revealed in giving us the desires of our heart. So I'm not saying God doesn't bless us and do good things. What I'm saying is I've seen people's faith damaged because they get caught up believing for. And when I start believing for a house or a car or even a good thing, like it could be health, it could be a miracle, it could be a job but I'm believing for it, well, now I'm making it the object of my faith. In fact, you could say it this way, I'm having faith in God's performance based on my understanding instead of having faith in God based on who I understand Him to be. And the problem is, God, there's timing and there's things. His ways are higher than my ways. There's things I don't understand about God. There's ways that God's moved. How many, how many things? It's one thing. Well, I'll just tell you what I've learned. So far, I've learned God knows just a little bit more than me. That's what I've learned so far. Just a little bit. I'm close. (laughs) No. And so the point is, is that that I want to be careful that, that if... That God remains the anchoring point for my faith. That the promiser remains the anchoring point for my faith. And not the promise. Because if I get all wrapped up in the promise... Right? I can't get so enamored with the promise of faith or the practical side of faith or, or th- that, I, that I lose faith in the author and finisher of my faith. I can't get so enamored with the performance of faith that I, that I lose the person of faith. And this is something I've, I've seen in the body of Christ sometimes is people just get so, you know, it's not necessarily bad, but they just kind of get too far. And they'll start saying, well, I'm going to use my faith to get me a new car. And I'm like, I don't know that's how that works. I don't think we get to a level of faith that we get to manipulate God to get our will. I don't think that's what Jesus is teaching here. I don't think you can actually find that anywhere in Scripture. It may sell books, but it's not actually in the Bible. And so, but here's what I believe. You say, well, pastor, you're saying we can't believe? No, no, no. Every promise of God is true. And God in His Word has promised us. He has promised to be with us. He has promised to guide us into truth. He has promised peace. He's promised joy. Now please notice, He did not promise comfort or happiness. Because our culture is all about happy. Like, I, 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 you know, I don't mean this in a bad way. I'm not trying to throw stones at anyone, obviously. But I'm concerned because there's so much preaching nowadays it's all about what you need to have a good day Jesus wants you to have a good day I'm like I wonder how the apostle Paul would feel about that sermon like pastor Paul let me preach my uh, pastor Paul apostle Paul let me preach my best sermon let me preach my best sermon on how the Lord wants every day just to be sunflowers and rainbows and then Paul would get up and say, well, you see, this is where I was lashed 39 times. And this is where the snake got me. Here's where the stones hit me. I was in prison a few times. I was in stocks, like in the sewer of a dungeon one time. That was a pretty good day. That smelled like rainbows and sugar plum fairies down there. I don't know. I just think maybe the Western church has got to get delivered from the narcissistic gospel, but that's just me. But the point that I'm saying is he is a God. So you got to balance it because he is a God who is benevolent. In fact, for faith to work, you got to believe three things about God. You got to believe that God is benevolent or good, that God is powerful, and that God is near. 
You can't, Satan will always attack one of those three. It's like three legs of a stool. If you lose one of them, the other falls. Because God may be good and powerful, but if he's not near, he's, he doesn't care about you. And God could be good and near, but if he's not powerful, he can't help you. Right? So, so you remove any one of those. So you got to believe this. And I believe God is good. I believe God is benevolent. I believe the word of God speaks to us about a provision for health. And, and there, we've talked about the miracle power of God lately and that God does the supernatural things. And, and I believe God can do those things. But ultimately, my faith can't be in those things. My faith has to be in Him. That's where it's powerful. Jesus didn't say, have faith, the mountain will move. He said, have faith in God. This is your starting place. This is your anchoring point. And if I have faith in God, even when God doesn't perform the way I suggested, my faith is still sure because it wasn't in a methodology or an outcome or a miracle or it was in God Almighty himself. Are you with me? Have faith in God. And so what makes faith strong is its object. The next thing that I want you to, to understand is that God actually gives us this faith, but it's because God actually moves through us, and the way God moves through us is with our faith. Meaning, really, we can't receive anything from God except we have faith. It's how you were saved. Grace and faith. It's how every promise of God comes. Grace and faith. You can't get, you can't get past that. As simplistic as it sounds, everything comes through grace and faith. But I also want you to understand this, that Jesus and and, and he goes on, and we're going to read it in just a minute, but he talks about when you pray, you ask, and you receive, and you have. And, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Jesus is not writing a blank check. I've, I think I heard a sermon called The Blank Check one time. It was horrendous, doctrinally, but preach good, you know. It's kind of like the lady asked me one time. She said, Pastor, are you just preaching, or are you telling the truth? I said, oh, I was just preaching. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways. But, but the truth of the matter is, God wants to work through our faith. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, have faith in God. Why? Because faith in God allows God to do supernatural things. Um, think about this. It, God actually can work His will through us. We know that. We can do His will. But He can actually work His will. And when He does that, He works it through our faith. Let, let me give you an example. How many know P what Peter said is correct? God is not willing that any should perish. How many believe that's God's will? All right. So the will of God is that none would perish. But how does God keep people from perishing? Well, according to Paul, He gave us the ministry of reconciliation where we would go and implore them be reconciled to God. So God doesn't actually come down today and, and preach the gospel in the grocery store and say, hey, I'm God, everybody, right? So come be saved. No, God's like, I don't want anyone to, per to perish. So I save you, redeem you, and anoint you and send you out. And you go and you reach people. And it's through your faith in me that I actually accomplish my will. Are you tracking with me? In fact, we were just talking about miracles. We said in the Bible, there's, you know, roughly depending on how you count them, there can be anywhere from 160 to 250 miracles. They're grouped together. It's, it's kind of somewhat subjective. But what we said this, this is one conclusion we came to. Out of If you use the larger number, about 240-something miracles, out of 240, 250 miracles, we can only find one in Scripture that God wasn't working with or through a man or a woman. And that's the Tower of Babel when God confused the languages. But everything else that God does is supernatural and powerful and miraculous throughout the Bible. He is working with or through a man. 
I had someone challenge me on this, and they talked about Jesus resurrecting the, the widow's son. And he said, well, who was the man that God was working through? I said, Jesus. He's our example. He was completely man, right? I understand the humanity of Christ. So the point is that God works his will through our faith. And so when we believe, like God gives us this faith, and we keep it anchored in him, and then God is able to work in and through us. And I say that because ultimately, really, today's message is about one question I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to ask you. And that is, what does God want to do through your faith? What does God want to do through your relationship with Him, through your belief in Him, through your faith in Him? What does God want to do through your faith? Because God works through us, and that requires it requires faith. Now then, Jesus goes on, and we have this verse just a few verses later, Mark eleven twenty four. He says, therefore, I say to you, whoever says, because now it's turned into prayer. He starts talking about prayer. Now, the context wasn't prayer. I think the whole context was about faith and faithlessness or fruit and fruitfulness. You don't produce fruit without faith. But then he turns it to prayer. Now, why? Because prayer is one of the ways we exercise faith. It's one of the ways we use faith. How, you know, how many understand science when they say there's potential and kinetic energy? Potential energy, you know, if I had a string and I pulled a bowling ball back and I pulled it back and I just hold it there, they would say that's what? Potential energy, right? It's just sitting there. It's not doing anything. But if I let go of it, then it becomes what? Energy in motion or kinetic energy, right? Well, this is what Jesus is saying. You can have faith, but until you put it in motion, no mountains move. So we need to talk about, well, how do I put my faith in motion? Well, he gives us a couple of things here, right? Number one, Mark eleven twenty four. 24, he says, Therefore I say, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive and you will have them. Now, time out. I don't have time to teach this because I'm already running out of time, right? I'm already minus 22 seconds. According to the big, the numbers have turned red. And that's not because Jesus is talking. So I don't have time to teach it, but people will take some of the teachings of Jesus where he phrases things like this. He also says in the Gospel of John, right, where it kind of makes the point like, well, you can just ask for whatever you want and you're going to have it. But you have to understand you have to take this, this and all of his teaching on prayer. And if nothing else, start with what we know as the model of prayer, right? You know, our Father who art in heaven, your, your kingdom, you know, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So Jesus is not writing you a blank check because, I've, again, I've heard that. Jesus is saying... In the will of God, with the faith of God, you have to release it through prayer. Right? So he is saying, like, what does it take to see a mountain move? Well, I've, I've got to know the word of God or the will of God. Faith really starts when I know what God wants to do, when I know what God has promised. If you're here today and you've got a situation in your life, the question isn't what, not what do you want to happen, but what has God said about that situation? What has God said about that circumstance? What is God saying to you? Because once I know what God wants to do, then I can have faith. So Jesus is saying, he's kind of assuming we understand, guys, I'm not a genie in a bottle. You don't rub me and get three witches, wishes. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm saying is in the will of God, with the faith of God, when you line up those things, you can remove any obstacle that's in the way of the will of God. And then he gives us another one. 
Some people, again, I'm going to talk about maybe, I hate to call it abuse. We'll just say zeal. We'll just say, because that's a good word. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like when I started ministry, I had no wisdom, but I had a lot of zeal. A lot of people said, God can use him. He's zealous. He's dumb as a box of rocks, but he's zealous. He didn't know anything, but he's zealous, right? And, and, and the second one Jesus gives us is, and he says it here. I'm going to draw it out, but it's confession. Faith's confession. Now, the reason I want to take just a minute here is because this, there have been many zealous people <laughs> that I feel like have kind of gone outside of maybe what Jesus is really trying to tell us here, and probably well-intentioned. And that is that when Jesus says, in fact, we can read it, verses 22 and 23, and Jesus, in fact, I'll show you the redundancy of the word he uses, have faith in God first. Surely I say to you, whoever says, this mountain be removed and cast in the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. And the point that has been made is that we exercise our faith through our confession. Now, time out. As I just said that, I believe it. I'll show you. Paul taught it. That's the only way you're saved, by the way. <laughs> so there is faith confession is powerful because faith is powerful. The confession is not so much what's powerful. This is where I want to delineate. God is powerful Faith anchored in Him is powerful. And then confession by faith anchored in Him and His will, that's powerful. Now, I say that because I've heard, heard it taught, you know, where people start saying things like, well, I'm you can just use your faith and you just aim it at what you want. Well, I'm going to use my faith to get a new car. Well, here's the problem. You've made God your genie in a bottle. You've removed him from the equation. You've made faith, you've made faith and, and the performance of it the object, and you've made you the person that supplies the power. Now, it's my faith getting what I want, and that's not what faith does. Faith is not about you getting what you want. Faith is about God getting what he wants. Are you with me? Now, the good thing is he's benevolent and good and wonderful, and he wants good things for you. That's the good news of that. But I just want you to understand it. There's been some zealous people that I think went over here and they just started teaching, you know, you just say what you want. You just, well, I want a new car. Well, I want a new house. Well, I, I want to be, you know, for me, I want to be six foot one and a half because you can buy a lot more clothes and you can fit in airplanes. I'm six foot six. That's the problem. If you can't tell, I'm tall. And being an Amazon is not really fun unless you're being paid by the NBA. You understand what I'm saying? So... The point, the point is, is that I have, it all has to start with God and my relationship with God, not with what I want to use something that I think God's given me to get what I want. But you can't, based on that, what's happened, some people heard that and they just threw out, I don't believe in faith confession. But the problem is, it's all throughout the Bible. The problem is, that's how you get saved. In fact, Paul talked about, hold, well, the writer of Hebrews says, hold fast the uh, confession of your faith. Paul says this to the Corinthians. He said, I believed and therefore I spoke. And he's specifically talking about faith and belief in that moment. So Paul talks about it. The writer of Hebrews talks about it, right? And then, and then we have what Paul says to the Romans, which is how we all get saved. I mean, this is how it works. He said, but what does it say? This is Romans 10 and 8. What does it say? The word is in you. It's, near, it's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Or the words near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That's the word of faith that we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes righteous, and with the mouth confession. You can underline that in your Bible because I'm going to tell you something about that. Confession is made unto salvation. The word confession there in the Greek is homologeo. 
And here's what you need to understand. That word means literally to say the same thing as. So the way we get saved, again, remember we had to have some information. We had to agree with that information. And we had to put our trust in that information. Right? We put our trust in God. That's how we got saved. It's exactly what Paul's telling us here. He's like, we, we, we heard the gospel preached, this word of faith, which is he's talking about the gospel. We heard the gospel preached, and, and we agreed with it. So we believed it, and then we said the same thing as it. So the way I'm saved is I believe, I hear Christ died for your sin. I believe Christ died for my sin. I confess Christ died for my sin. It's not, I believe Christ died for my sin. You know, I hear Christ died for my sin. I believe Christ died for my sin, and I want a new car. That's not, that's not how this is working, because the word means to say the same thing as. And so it's really, it's kind of a cool picture. It's an alignment between God's will, your heart, and your mouth. This is where faith is released. When you can, when you can find God's will and line your heart up with God's will, and line your words up with your heart and God's will, that's where the power of faith is released. I think that's exactly what Jesus is telling us here. If you have faith in God, right? So that, what did it require faith? Well, that was that whole information, belief, and trust. So, so essentially, you come to this faith in God. So now my, my heart is in alignment with God, right? Because of that. Now I put my mouth in alignment with God. And I say to the mountain, be removed, cast in the sea. And I don't doubt, but believe, and it will be done. Do you see what I'm saying? But now we're talking about the will of God. I want us to understand this because I feel like more than ever, God wants to do something through you and something through me. And I even think, I say something new. I don't think there's anything new, but it can be a new thing in us. Does that make sense? And I felt so burdened this week as I prepared just to say, God, I feel like you want to do something through me and you want to do something through our church. And, and that's really where I just came to the question. Like I always say, God, what are you saying today? And what do you want to say today? What are you speaking today? And the question I was supposed to ask you is, what does God want to do through your faith? And I really think that's the question. I think that's what God is asking me. I think that's what God is asking our church. And it could be something little. It could be something big. It could be something little that turns into something big. It doesn't matter. The point is that faith is active. That's why James says, right, faith without works is dead. Faith requires that activity. And the very essential activity is prayer and confession. But after that, there's obedience and following God and doing what he says and all of those. And so here's what I want us to understand, though, today. Please hear me. If faith comes from God, you have the faith you need to do whatever God calls you to do. If faith comes from God, you don't have to doubt that you have the faith that you need to move whatever mountain God has called you to move. You just need to make sure that that faith is anchored in Him and not anything else. And then with that, if you, you got God's will and you got faith in Him that comes from Him. And then if I can just get my heart to align with what God's saying and my mouth to align with my heart and what God's saying, then the mountain that God has called me to move, the fig tree that God's called me to get rid of, whatever it is, I can do it. Not because I'm amazing, not because I've got super faith, but because He who promised is faithful, and He has given me the faith that I need, and He wants to work through the faith He's given me. Amen? 
What is it that God wants to do through your faith? Will you stand with me today? And I'm going to ask our um, prayer team to come. And I just want to encourage you today, if you need prayer for any situation, whatever you may be facing, we want to pray with you today. If you need forgiveness, you need a relationship with God, we want to pray. Don't leave if you need prayer. It's one of the most important moments that we have. I know we kind of let people dismiss because we got to get people in and out and pick up kids and all that. But that doesn't mean the moment's any less holy. You understand what I'm saying? So if you need prayer, we want to pray. But I want everyone just to bow your heads with me just for a moment. And we're going to ask God the same question we've been asking throughout the message. And, and that is just this. I want each of us. I believe God will speak to you. I believe God will show you something. But I want each of us just to ask this question. And that is, God, what are you saying to me today? Or God, what do you want to do through my faith? What do you want to do through my faith today? Like, I need it to be kinetic. I need it, I need it to, to be active. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray right now as, as we wait just a moment on you that you would speak to each of us, God, how you want to work through us and how you want to work through our faith today. God, you can speak to us in words and pictures and ideas and thoughts, impressions of the heart. But God, I just want you to speak to each person and show us today, God, how, how you want to work and move through us, through the faith that we have from you. And God, I thank you today for every person in this room, everyone watching online. God, I thank you that you're moving and working. And God, I just pray today we would have the courage or even the boldness to believe or trust that you can do the supernatural even through us, that you can do miracles even through our prayers, through our obedience, through our faith. And God, miracles can be really, really big. And sometimes they can be simple, simple things, but God is something only you could put together and you can do. And God, we're just here to say, use us and use our faith. The faith you've given us to work. God, we want to be used by you. And we thank you, God, for how you're working and what you're going to do in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise today? Yeah, God is so good. Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app and we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also, uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.